Register now for the Packet Pushes live stream with sponsored Glueware happening September 28th, 2021. The topic, low-code network automation. No one's going to bother you after the event unless you opt in for follow-up. And scheduled speakers include Terry Slattery, the first CCIE. So register at packetpushers.net slash livestream. That's packetpushers.net slash livestream. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffin and Scott Hogue. And today... We're going to talk about IPv6 assessments and, uh, and some of the challenges and things and why would you do one, et cetera, et cetera. So let's jump into it, you guys. You know, hey, why isn't an IPv6 assessment important? <laughs> like, or is it important? Is it even important for, for a company to do one? It's kind of like an assessment or an evaluation. You're really evaluating products, software, services in your IT environment today for their level of IPv6 capability as you start to embark on an IPv6 project. Yeah, so it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's sort of knowing where you're at, right? Uh, mm-hmm. If you wanna start a journey around adopting v6, it, you know, it's really difficult to map out your journey if you don't know where you're starting. It's sort of how I look at assessments. Um, yeah, and the, the question is you're sitting there thinking about all the, the stuff that's running, all the hardware and software. It's like, what supports IPv6, what doesn't? Where do I, where do I even begin to try to answer that question? Yeah. So I mean, maybe that's a, maybe that's a good starting point of like, how do we break down the problem space of, of figuring out what's important to do from an assessment standpoint? And obviously this is sort of focused as a network engineering, you know, audience. So network gear is going to be sort of high on the list of sort of like, Hey, this is in, this is out. And the great news is regardless of the size of your network, you probably get to deduplicate a lot, right? You're probably got a lot of the same series routers running the same series code or the same series switches running the same series code. So <laughs> one would hope, one would hope, right? I mean, there's a little bit of creep in there uh, over time, um, you know, as you're upgrading the things, but uh, so hopefully your, your list isn't, you know, thousands and thousands of devices, but hopefully down in the, you know, in the tens maybe, right? Yeah. That you're, well, that you're working your way through. And so then the question becomes, at least partly because there, you know, there are a number of like IPv6 adoption shibboleths out there and and, and we're guilty of propagating them. I, I know there's a handful that I propagate myself without thinking about it too deeply. And, and one of them is, well, you know, if you've kept up with tech refresh in the last five to 10 years, you you probably have a lot of support for IPv6 just ready to go that you haven't even really dived into. But we, we have to sort of back up and say, is that really true? Um, do we have that that level of, of, of ironclad support for IPv6 across the board with all the router and switch vendors? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, probably a few years ago, we we had a tendency to say that a little bit more because the, the I think the manufacturers were, were very much on board with getting a lot more v6 support done i think there's been a few stumbles within the last few years around sliding yeah 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 around consistency around having v6 support and maybe not having as much feature support maybe um uh, available uh, in terms of parity for for v6 uh, sort of capabilities or even v6 support period uh, i've been sort of surprised about and and, and maybe this is just a, a Maybe this is a manifestation of more of just how fast people are working to try and get, you know, cloud solutions uh, done and things like that, where V6 wasn't as high on the roadmap for them. And so they decided to just do a, v, a V4 only product out of the door the first time through. Um, there seems to be more of that. So I think an assessment becomes even more important now than 
than maybe even a, a few years ago of, of really understanding where products fit and, uh, and, and, and sort of how that plays out. And so I, I think it's incredibly important to do one. I think, you know, the assessment, it can be pretty widespread network gear, your systems, your security, your storage, your public cloud services, your SaaS services, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, what, do, what do you cover? <laughs> it's a long, right. It can be a potentially a, a really long list. And this is, this is part of how daunting it is, I think, for, for network folks to really start the process. Cause it's just like, okay, setting aside the routers and switches, if you assume that, that they're up to date and running IPv6 uh, effectively and, 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 you know, there, there's probably a 95 to 99% chance that they are. And then how, you know, how far do you expand that scope of assessment? And, and I think uh, the tougher question is what are you, what are you measuring against? Right. I mean, like, uh, does this run IPv6? Well, what does that mean? You know, does it run IPv6 yeah. in the context of the, the particular set of features for that class of device? You know, like what, what does it mean for a firewall to run IPv6 effectively? What does it need to basically support? So I think we should probably back up and say, what are the references that folks are going to use in making that assessment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've we had Doug Montgomery from NIST on the show uh, talking about USG v6 testing and these capability strings that define the, the, what a product needs to do and would then based on that capability string define how that product got tested. And then we've had Tim Winters from University of New Hampshire Interoperability Lab. Um, you can refer back to that podcast where he talks about the testing process and procedures and things like that. And so you could look to the results that are published by a testing service like that. That's one place where you could check. Yeah. And I, and I think I think we can all agree because we I know, admit we do this as, as part of our professional careers is is helping companies sort of work through the assessment portion. And it is not easy from the vendor side of digging through their documentation to sort of understand what feature sets and capabilities match up and what's um, and where a platform sort of sits. So there's a lot of digging and and just sort of personal knowledge of, of going through enough of these to, to sort of understand, you know, what's going on in, 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 a, in a particular platform from, from a capability standpoint. And this is, gets back to sort of what we originally, I think we talked about in, in past shows about, you know, functional versus feature parity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, can you get V6 information via syslog? Maybe that's true, but maybe that syslog is happening over IPv4. So you've got, you know, sort of functional parity, not feature parity. And, th and that can work just fine in, 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 in your environment and that shouldn't be a problem. Um, and so it really depends on whether you're rating them on feature parity or functional parity. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? And hey, does it, V6 work in the management plane. So my management interface can take a V6 address. I can manage it across that, but maybe it can't forward stuff in the data plane. So it, you know, does that work for you? Well, maybe, maybe not. Depends on what you're trying to do with V6, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's a really like key example, I think, to just sort of break down the difference between feature and functional parity parity in case it's not obvious to the listeners, you know, that 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 is sort of the canonical example. And and we've saw a lot of that earlier, right? Where it's like a lot of network management plane function. Uh, just wasn't supported over IPv6. And that, that caused a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth for folks, especially on the federal side that were, you know, tasked with like testing a bunch of gear and making sure that that it could be supported in, in federal network environments. Uh, and just like, well, you know, okay, you support V6 in the data plane and you've managed to get it out of, out of the software path and, and hardware, which is great. But then I have to rely on V4 to continue to manage the network. 
Right. Um, so yeah, that, that difference between feature and functional parity, uh, you know, it, and it, maybe that's good enough, right? I mean, if, it, you know, if I, if I have to pick the things that I want to try to fix and, and work on and make progress with, you know, maybe it's okay that the, the functional parity of network management over V4, you know, allowing me to manage a data plane that supports V6, maybe that's good enough for now. And, you know, but on the other hand, it, it, it just sort of depends on where I've set the priorities for the V6 project and how quickly I want to get to the point of V6 only. And of course, for Fed f folks, this is a critical question now because of the new mandate. Yeah. And, and, and we had a really great discussion about the management plan with, with, with Nick and Chris. I think that was episode, what was it, 80? So if folks want to go back and listen and, and sort of talking about, you know, <laughs> some of the challenges around deploying V6 and, and the management plan and, and some of the impacts and, and how things work there. I think they did a really great job sort of sharing their experience around a bunch of that. But, I, you know, I think the other part that becomes a big deal for folks on the assessment side is really understanding um, for many, they don't understand what V4 features they're already using, right? <laughs> right. I think this is the eye opener for many people is they, is they, they're sort of like, well, what V4 features are we using? And do we have a one for one match from V6? Is there a one for one match in V6 to the V4 feature, right? So I think yeah, that's you're getting, a, you're getting re educated on V4 while you're trying to adopt V6 without, without even realizing <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this certainly holds true in the security space. I mean, Scott, talks about this all the time is like, you know, everyone goes crazy when the first time we go through and talk V6 and security and like first hop security. And they, they're like, oh my gosh, we have to turn all this stuff on. And like, <laughs> Scott's first question, are you running this in V4? Like <laughs> you run V4 in your network today, you have V4 vulnerabilities and you haven't taken steps to protect against the V4 vulnerabilities. So don't get upset that there's these new V6 vulnerabilities that existed. <laughs> and if you're going to fix the V6 vulnerabilities, let's go back and fix your V4 vulnerabilities. Shore right. up your IPv4 ship because that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 a really weird experience to watch people get wrapped around the axle around that particular point. And they're man, they just won't let it go. They're like, oh, we can't deploy this because of this security concern. I'm like hold on a sec, like you're just wide open on the V4 side over here. Mm -hmm. You haven't done anything there. Maybe we should fix that. If you're really wound around the axle, maybe go fix that. First. Yeah. Yeah. They hold IPv6 to a higher level of standard. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I think there's, that's, that's one of the things that sort of a, a interesting side effect of, of the assessment portion. I, there's a lot of other things that fit in this category. Like they just, um, I think the routing protocol selection, a lot of people get hung up on that one of like, is this an opportunity to change routing protocols? So we move from OSPF to ISIS, or should we, you know, should we be staying on EIGRP or, you know, if you're a Cisco shop, like what, what does that look like? Oh, so rip version two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you're and, banished from the show. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, hey, it works great with phase three DMVPN. <laughs> um, no, it's yeah, got I mean, poison reverse. That's <laughs> it's, it's a good question, and and, and right, and it, you, it support like V six. It supports all of it, right? I mean, there's you know, it, on at least on Cisco, it, it, all the, the the standard routing platforms today, you can you can just because it supports it doesn't mean you need to use well, it, right? And that's the thing. It's like, do you and and this is and so you you have to like sort of back up and and take the 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 naive or the innocent perspective of like what you know what's the what should I be doing here? Because you, you might have heard well, OSBF v three as an as an example. That's that's sort of a 
a standard routing protocol for v6 so do i need to use that to the exclusion of say eigrp if that's what i'm running in my network and you know we've encountered some fairly large enterprises that are still using eigrp um, mm -hmm. can they can can they continue to run it using v6 and and they might be they might be thinking ahead of time presuming ahead of time that i can't do this i can't i can't make a, a rollout of v6 if you know if i'm going to actually have to totally migrate over to a new routing protocol to be able to do that. Yeah, I, th I think one of the other things that's really interesting about the assessment that, that it brings to highlight or at least highlights is uh, for many people, the assessment is really about dual stack adoption, it seems like, as opposed to going to V6 only. And then I think what falls out of the assessment is what the impacts are on your platforms. And that, that's that's really important about what does your assessment look like? One of the things your assessment's telling you is how much, you know, TCAM you have, how many routes you're currently doing, like understanding your V4 environment in a very, you know, robust way mm -hmm. so that you can assess whether you can actually run a dual stack environment and what impacts those are going to have. Do I need to run, you know, multiple instances of Dijkstra? Maybe I gain an advantage of running single topology ISIS or like whatever it's going to be, right? Um, and those are decisions, those are technical decisions by your engineering organization that need to be made uh, and, and they need to understand the impacts of those. So it could be that you decide to turn on and you're gonna, you've got older series Cisco switches, you still got 3850s out in the field or something. And you're like, yeah, I have to change the SDM template. And when I change the SDM template to match up for the requirements for V6, I don't have as much TCAM and I can't hold as many V4 routes. And maybe I have to, you know, trim my V4 routes or I have to summarize better or I have to filter or I have to do something to free up to get the V6 routes in there. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that, yeah. that brings us back around to the question of, of the vendor support around IPv6 right. and, and making those decisions thoughtfully and with support from the vendor. Um, and, and this is, you know, I, I still remember this from deploying IPv6 early on, having the basically having the vendor say, well, this is supported, but there's no, you know, not having any operational practice to, to rely on. The vendor hasn't really provided any, you know, guidance, any, you know, cookbook around how to make this work in, in a production environment. And, and I think that's probably better now than, you know, certainly it's better than it was, you know, 10 plus years ago. Uh, but I still think it's also probably deficient in many areas where you can't intelligently answer that question of how easy this is going to be to roll out for a particular feature or function of IPv6 you know, based on something that the vendor is providing to show you how to definitively do that and cover all the cases. Yeah, I, th I think that becomes a, s a strange um, V4 is what you're dealing with today. So of course you're just gonna accept it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I so I don't know if it's an operational concern and you're just gonna deal with what what's there. Um, well, but maybe we shift to the question of just vendors in general. And, you know, if we're talking about doing network assessment, I guess another sort of naive perspective that one might have would be like, well, I'm just going to rely on the vendor to tell me what works and what doesn't, you know, I'm just going to send out a blast out an email to all my vendors and all my, you know, sales, uh, all my uh, um, sales engineers and all my account reps saying, I, I need V6 support for my current environment. Do you guys support it? Do you guys see anything wrong with that approach? Is that something? That I'm, I'm sure the sales guy is going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. And here's the dollar. <laughs> Please write a check. When am yeah. I getting my PO number? Those are the two questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, yeah, so that's a fair that's a fair thing. And I, and I think if, if I were in an enterprise shoes, that, that would probably be the first instinct to do 
for for myself with if I had no guidance around how to sort of you know do a well well formed assessment. But there are challenges with that. I, I think mm-hmm. um, it's it's all about use cases of how you're using V4 in your network today and how that matches up to what you're doing with V6. It determines the right questions to ask mm-hmm. in an assessment, right? Yeah. Um, it makes no sense to ask about a ton of questions about BGP support if you're not going to use if you're not using BGP for V4, right? Like you're not running BGP in your environment. Like why are you asking the question? So maybe that is or is not important depending on what you're doing. Right. Um, and, and I think it's it needs to be context aware. I think that I think many of the um, you know in Scott's case for a bunch of the security vendors, many of them fell guilty of the yeah we support V we support V6. We can move a packet from one side to the other. Are we doing any of the security features that we do with it? No, but we can move we can move a packet, and, and that's not the answer that yeah. you need, right? Yeah, we can move a packet across the data plane. We're using static routes to nail that up, mm-hmm. you know, and but all the threat intelligence data that we get as part of your monthly subscription that you pay for, yeah, don't expect that to have any V6 addresses populated in any of that reputation yeah. data or block. There's data. no geolocation and data. Yeah, yeah we're not like, geofencing for V6. We don't do any of that. And if you get a domain, we're only doing DNS validation for bad domains over IPv4. And yeah, da, 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 da. yeah there's yeah. all these caveats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I server, also, load, server load balancers are the same, are, are, are very similar, mm-hmm. right? In, in the same way, our application delivery controllers, depending on which you know, which can't be fit in, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very similar in terms of feature capabilities down the list. Yeah. Cause that load balancer is getting lots of other capabilities consolidated into it. Mm-hmm. Web application firewall, uh, you know, sin cookies doing certain DDoS mitigation for applications. There's other features that are being consolidated into that one function, that middle box. And Maybe not all of those functions work. You yeah. Know? Maybe I can't block all the OWASP top 10 web vulnerabilities over V6, but I could do it with IPv4. And that's the minimum level of standard, you know, that the industry yes. has said is OWASP over IPv4. And OWASP as a as an organization doesn't say, and all of these OWASP top 10 should be blocked over V4 and V6. They don't even address that. Right. Well, and I think this is, gets back to Tom's original point. What does your assessment need to look like? Like, and starting off, getting started with a good set of questions of actually understanding how to frame those questions and to ask smart questions mm-hmm. is really the starting point of a good assessment, right? Of saying, yeah. of, of saying, and really understanding what needs to happen there and then, mm-hmm. and doing, a, and, and understanding how it applies to your environment. Like, I think that's the hard part is, is, yeah. is, is figuring that part out. That's where the value is, right? If, you, if it's not applied to your environment, who cares, right? At yeah. the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And some organizations can just get so wrapped around the axle and exhausted by this idea that I'm going to have to look at everything in my environment that has an IPv4 address on it or uses IPv4 in some way, and I'm going to have to evaluate it for IPv6. We tend to recommend, well, just prioritize your assessment based on where you're going to use IPv6 first. Yes. And then yeah, work your point. way down the list. And where many enterprises are already using IPv6 on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so focus your assessment on where you're using IPv6 today. You know, yep. you have remote employees, remote workers, colleagues, collaborators, customers, 
suppliers, you know, uh, already using IPv6 on the internet today. So focus on internet-based services. Maybe you've got a cloud access security broker, you know, and it's internet and the internet runs both protocols today. So why don't you assess that? Yeah. And then you can find some, you can find some easy wins there, right? Potentially. Mm -hmm. Like if, yeah. if it's something that's supported on the edge and there's a, you know, SaaS service that you're connecting to or something, you know, that is basically you just turning it on and, and you can check it off the list pretty much immediately. I'm breaking into the podcast because we at Packet Pushers would appreciate it if you'd register for our live stream event with sponsor Glueware coming up on September 28th, 2021. Now, why would you register for such an event? Well, there's a few reasons. One, you're going to learn about Glueware's intelligent, low-code network automation solution. We're going to talk to engineers at Glueware along with customers and integrators about what Glueware does and how folks use this network automation platform. Maybe even banging around with Ansible and Python for your automation stuff, and you'd like to understand what a low-code, multi-vendor platform can do for you. Cool. Sign up. Register. Free education so you know what your options are. Reason two, this is not a webinar. We are talking to humans packet pusher style and keeping slides at a minimum during this event. You're going to see some slides, right? Because sometimes you need them to help you understand things. But the focus of this live stream is going to be more on conversation and showing you the product itself. No death by PowerPoint while someone drones on and on. Last reason here, your registration information will not be shared with the sponsor unless you opt in. And Glueware is okay with that? You're wondering, yeah, they are okay with that. They, they get it. They know how we do things around here. They want you to opt in or reach out to them once you're ready to learn more. They don't just want a list of random names. They want to hear from engineers like you who want to hear from them. So join us on September 28th, 2021 for the live stream. Register via packetpushers.net slash livestream. I'll be there along with Greg Farrow and Drew Conry-Murray. We're going to be driving the conversations with the Glueware team, sharing your questions in real time, and keeping the event moving right along. Packetpushers.net slash livestream. And if you do register, thanks for that. It really helps us out here at Packet Pushers when you join live events like this because it makes them interactive and more valuable for everyone. Last time, packetpushers.net slash livestream. And now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I'm using a CDN vendor. And as part of that service, it it also has some web application firewall and some DDoS protections. Okay, I'm relying upon those today for V4. Let me just check. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm using a VPN. I'm using a VPN service. Uh, anything like that that might be internet-based. I'm using um, dynamic scanning. I'm doing DAST scanning of my web applications that are publicly accessible over the internet. And I assess them today for V4 vulnerabilities by buying a service from a vendor. And the bad news here is that none of the DAST vendors that I know of actually do dynamic scanning over IPv6 transport. Right. So a huge bug you'll find. Uh, And then if you look at a, you know, industry published, you know, top 10 list of, you know, DAS scanning vendors, probably that industry group hasn't even thought to ask, oh, do you support IPv6? And is that a criteria of them saying these are the top 10, you know, vendors in that, that list? So, um, yeah, but I, I think we recommend prioritize IPv6 where it will be deployed. And so even though, Ed and Tom, you said, Network devices have probably really good functional parity or feature parity. All those dynamic routing protocols that they support would support V4 and V6. 
well, deploying IPv6 across your enterprise WAN, uh, maybe a later stage, you know, maybe something you're going to do in a year from now. So do you need to assess that today? No, you could assess it maybe in six months, but maybe your firewall is really important to assess. Right. Internet edge or something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen a lot of enterprises get, you know, the network teams get an easy, that quote unquote, easy win rolling out IPv6 on the enterprise WAN because it is, you know, the routing protocol support is there and robust. Mm -hmm. Hey, we can turn this on. No clients. (laughs) Yeah, no clients. Exactly. No traffic. But, you know, then they can snipe at the other business units and silos. Like, why don't you guys get your together and deploy IPv6 in the way that we've done it here? Yeah, because our secure web gateway doesn't support IPv6 for outbound, you know, clients going to Internet sites. And we rely upon that as part of our malware protection strategy. <laughs> so we, yeah. we can't deploy IPv6 to desktops because we have a, a gap in v6 capability. Well, well, let's talk about what that what that means for uh, for the organization. Does this change any of our behavior sort of knowing this going going up front? How do, how do we get ahead of this as opposed to like the assessment side is really sort of looking at what you got and being like, huh, and, and crying over the fact that maybe you bought product that doesn't have V6 support, never will, or doesn't have it on the roadmap. Mm-hmm. Can, we, can we do any behavior changes beforehand that sort of helps with that as part of the assessment process of saying like, you know, going forward, this is ridiculous. I don't want to spend my life reassessing everything over and over again. Is there, is there mm-hmm. something that can happen as, a, as an outcome that makes more sense to do? Um, you know, we, we, I think, I think we have a set of recommendations, but maybe we just sort of talk through what that looks like for, for folks. Yeah. I think one is, is being cautious when, uh, vendors will defer to the, the authority of an RFC. Um, and you know, we saw, I saw a lot of this working for a vendor where, and, and it's, it's a legitimate question. And obviously if you look at the way that network devices are being assessed, rigorously, uh, network and uh, hardware and software is being assessed rigorously by, um, say, the UNH IOL. Uh, you have to pick sort of what elements of an RFC matter to, to functional, you know, mm-hmm. feature and functional parity or, or just features and functions in IPv6. Uh, but that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, that, that's only the beginning of the story because somebody has to make an intelligent decision about what part of the RFC is critical. And, you know, the RFC authors have have tried to think of everything and include everything that might be critical for that particular technology or, or function or feature that they're they're articulating in that RFC. And so then, then the challenge becomes, well, the vendor just turns around and says, we support this RFC. Well, let's say in the case of the IPv6 RFC, uh, 8200, you know, everything that's in there, you support all of that? Every every last line that's in the RFC that implies some sort of operational condition. The letter of the law. But yeah. That, you know, so, but this is, this is something that you'll see, you'll see both customers, enterprise customers and vendors sort of defer, default to, and it's this kind of appeal to authority. It's like, well, do you support the RFC? It's like, yes, we do. We, we're in compliance with that RFC or yeah. What does that even it's mean? The lazy, it's the lazy answer. Yeah. We do all the musts, but we don't do all the shoulds because that's <laughs> optional. Right. Exactly. And so that that's really a pitfall, I think, where, you know, it, it, it's a good place to start. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be like, well, do you support this RFC or not? But it's only sort of the beginning of the discussion because then it's incumbent on the enterprise to go back and figure out, you know, what it is that they need support for in that particular RFC. And yeah, that's the super important yeah. part. And some, some RFCs are really, really specific and, you know, it's like either you support this or you don't. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think the other thing is, 
Um, having standards around procurement is going to be super helpful for, for organizations. So if you can get ahead of it and put standards in place around how you need to adopt IPv6 and what sets of capabilities are. So when you put out uh, requirements to your to your manufacturers about what they support, you're actually articulating more specifics than what, as Tom's example, are the, the RFCs. You're saying like, no, I need this routing protocol. I need to see it operate in this way. I need to see these sets of capabilities within it. Uh, this is how we use V4 today. So I expect to see equal capabilities in V6 for whatever those things may be. It may be implemented differently, but that's okay, right? I need to see sort of that functional parity uh, equivalent of what of what we're doing in, in V4 today in V6, and then and then put some timetables around it. So like you know, yeah, we get it. We maybe you have this on your roadmap, and it, you say in six months it's going to be delivered. So in a year, if it's not there as a product, we want our money back, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like because you didn't meet your commitment. Mm -hmm. You put some so, teeth into it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and so and, there's and options to do there. Absolutely. And focusing on roadmaps, you know, it, that that's always a big warning sign. It's like, let me see your roadmap for this. Is there, there, there's no V6, you know, I mean, that just as a basic acid test of, you know, are you, are you thinking about as a vendor, are you thinking seriously about supporting V6? If there's yeah, any literally nothing on the roadmap that, that refers to V6, you know, is, is that a warning sign? Well, it very well could be. Or, or the, the, the notorious, they turn around and ask you, well, what would you like to see? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here as product development. If you want me as product development, you can pay us <laughs> all right, to be, be your product development roadmap. Um, uh, you would never do that for V4, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that they would do that on V6 is just laughable. So it does change a little bit of the behavior of, of helping your, your, your procurement teams to put some teeth behind what they're doing and the commitments they do for every single one of them. And it has to be sort of across the board. This is the big mistake I see also is like, you know, you see that one security team that goes off, doesn't know anything about V6 and goes off and maybe buys half a dozen products that have zero V6 support, even though they, they know a V6 project is, is on, is on the horizon. I don't know, Scott, you ever run into that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the midst of an IPv6 security project, a customer buys a vulnerability scanning system that has no IPv6 capability at all. So that's that's a long pole in the tent then. They have to make a judgment call. Do we move forward with IPv6 and know that we just don't have this capability and we're going to lack, you know, a feature parity? Or do we switch vendors or do we start to put some thumb screws on that vendor to say, Hey, we need this product. You know, we need this feature, uh, after the, it's already, you know, the, the procurement's already occurred. It's difficult right. to do that after the fact. Um, yeah. If you don't we have, also have in, like we organizations, mentioned. yeah. Who have procurement guidelines to say, yes, every it product we, and many organizations have had IPv6 procurement guidelines for decade and they still buy stuff that's IPv4 only. Uh, but it's also difficult for a procurement officer, a person doing that to understand the difference between, yes, we do RFC 8200 or or it's on our data sheet. It says IPv6. See? Yeah, we do. Okay. To, oh, does it do everything it does for V4 with V6 equally well? Um, so it's tough for a procurement person to 
distinguish well, between those two. And, and that's why I think the work beforehand to fall on the technical team to really understand what they require within their environment and write a set, uh, write an actual mm-hmm. spec about it that says like, mm-hmm. yeah, these are the things that need to functional feature parity we expect to see within your platform mm-hmm. or roadmap to get there, right? And, and then it becomes easier for the procurement team to understand because they can look at the list say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, and 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 sort of review that with the with the technical team to make, to help them make uh, a decision. And that may just determine that may that may get to the point where you're like, well, there's only one product to buy. Even though we were evaluating five vendors, you know, we we get down to the point where the only one that can check all the boxes that meet our requirements is is you know whatever the last fifth vendor who's who uh, who meets all those those sets of requirements. And and that's okay. It may not be your first product choice for other reasons but you know these are the criteria you're putting together around it yeah and maybe don't stress about mistakes that were made in the past and things you bought that are ipv4 only today put a stake in the ground and say okay from this date going forward we're going to try and do the right thing and ask for v6 maybe we look at it only as new projects what are the new it procurements we have coming up in the next 12 months most organizations have a list of things they'd like to buy or things that are up for renewal, put IPv6 on that list and say, oh, we're looking at a new, you know, wireless system. Like we were just talking about with Tom uh, Hollinsworth the other day, you know, oh, okay. IPv6 should be part of this. Oh, I'm going to deploy a new, um, you know, security measure. Okay, let me make sure IPv6 is on that list as part of our IPv our product vendor evaluation criteria. Right. Uh, you know, and just put a stake in the ground and say going forward, let's just try and do the right thing. Because the reason, if if an enterprise has these procurement guidelines and they enforce them over a long period of time, you will have more and more things that have IPv6 support, and then you can turn on IPv6 when on your timetable. Yes. You can turn it on when your design dictates you're in control. When you have not, you know, had these guidelines, when you have bought IPv4 only products, the vendor's development schedule is your deployment timetable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's completely true. And, And we've watched several organizations go through that where they're they're midway through a deployment of of V6 and they're like, yep. This is a linchpin. We we have to basically wait until this, you know, vendor manufacturer with this product team gets the yeah. support built, and we yeah. can't move any 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 further until that's done. Yeah, can't turn up IPv6 on any end user, you know, mobile device because our malware defense system doesn't support IPv6. Oh, our antivirus suite doesn't. Oh, our secure web our gateway, proc- our yeah, proxy, proxy, our yeah. our you know, dot dot dot, and nope. Okay, so now we've got uh, an IPv6 network, and the only traffic is OSPF v3 hellos. <laughs> <laughs> and you're testing. And you're testing. I, and that's that's the other thing is that that often gets missed by folks is the monitoring and testing. You do have to monitor and test. That's part of your assessment. Mm-hmm. You need to look at it and evaluate your your NMS and and say like, can it watch v6 for me? Because it does it do it separately and mm-hmm. does it report mm-hmm. all this up down? Because you know, that's, that's has impacts there too. Yeah. I'm getting yeah. flow data off of the device mm-hmm. and that flow data can contain information about V4 and V6 flows. And maybe like you said, Ed, we have functional parity in that the flow data 
contains v4 and v6, even if the flow export is occurring over IPv4, UDP port 2055 or what have you, um, you know, that's okay. As long as the function is we can assess v4 and v6 flows in right. our collector and our analyzer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's, I, I think these are the things that people can put in place, the changes they can make immediately to help them around the assessment side, mm-hmm. to get better about understanding their environment. Uh, so you, and to, to get back to my original analogy, you know where you are on the map and you're sort of putting guidelines together about which paths you should take and what roads you're willing to travel. Maybe you don't want to travel gravel roads. You want to do at least paved roads or something like that, help you to sort of navigate about where you want to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an end result. And I think that's super important for organizations to tackle. And this, you know, this day and age, you know, having a good plan put together is going to go a long way towards making your life mm-hmm. a lot easier around, around D6 adoption. It's just been, at least I think our, our collective experience is, is, mm-hmm. has proven that time and time again. Yeah. And I kind of do some of this, it, trying to do, you know, gather this data from the vendors in a couple of different ways. One, you know, I try and do some Google hacking. Are there mm-hmm. user forums where they're asking for IPv6 features? Is there, uh, what does their release notes say about IPv6 problems that have occurred in this product's, you know, history and software versions? Uh, is it in their admin guide, their config guide? Can I get those documents about their current version and see how to go about configuring and which options are available or not or not available over IPv6. Um, then maybe reach out to a sales engineer, a, a technical person at that company to ask. And then sometimes you have to ask to get to the right person. Maybe it's someone in the product team, product development, who then maybe knows a little bit more about the roadmap or knows a little bit more about the features that are coming out, then you could, you know, so you, you're kind of doing a bunch of things in parallel. You're doing some internet self-search, you're kind of looking at documentation, release notes, you're asking the vendor directly, um, doing a little Google hacking, you know, all in parallel to try and get to the, the right, uh, the right answer. We'll give away all our secrets, Scott. <laughs> Sometimes there's a product comparison document that's been published by either a testing group or a consultant has written. Yeah, you're up really and lucky. You're really lucky if you get those. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen as many of those. Yeah. yeah. Someone well, might true. write about, hey, these are the top CASBs. I don't know. Them. I don't know who would have done that. <laughs> and here's the capabilities they do or don't have. Sometimes yeah, you find right. some good articles like that out there. Yeah, for those that don't know, Scott Scott wrote some of, some of those articles that are available out there, uh, both on Network World and then some of them also up on the up on the Infoblox IPv6 Center of Excellence. So you can you can do a search for some of those. They're really good. Well, hey, I think you know, unlike V6, we've run out of space for the podcast. But uh, you can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. You can also hit up uh, each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogan. I'm at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Uh, just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. Um, and uh, you know, if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day to Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, uh, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long, and until next time, We'll see you on the internet, the IPv6 internet, that is. 
Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6